Blog Talk Radio. I still care. I'll try to help my loved ones understand how memories can fly like grains of sand, and that I'll remember them while I still can. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of the Alzheimer's Speaks resource website, blog, radio, and the Shifting Your Dementia Care Culture webinar series. Here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss and their care partners, empowering them to all live purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease, not as the disease. Rick Phelps is our channel expert who has early onset Alzheimer's, known as EOAD, and he may pop into the show. I don't know if he's going to be able to join us today or not, but Rick was diagnosed in June of 2010, and he's the founder of Memory People on Facebook, which is a wonderful support group for people with early memory loss, their care partners, as well as business professionals and advocates. And if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend that you just put in memory people in the search box on Facebook and ask to join. It's it's a pretty phenomenal space, and it's all confidential, um, so people won't know outside the group that you have joined. We'd also like you to um, help us raise awareness of of. Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, and we know that this disease is calling for collaborative efforts, and social media makes it really easy. So if you wouldn't mind liking us, um, emailing us to your friends, Twittering, um, anything you can do to help raise awareness about this disease would be great, because even if you are listening for the first time or you've come back several times, all the shows are archived, and you can You can go ahead and tap into them at any time. If you're listening online today, you can use the chat box um, to go ahead and communicate with us, or you can always call in live at 714-364-4757. Again, that number is 714-364-4757. And if you want to ask a question or comment, all you need to do is push one and you'll get into my queue. And we will pull you in as soon as there's a break in the conversation. Today's show is really going to be, I think, a lot of fun and very interesting. The title is Dancing Through Dementia. And our guest today is Erica Hornthal. And she has her Master's of Arts degree in Dance and Movement Therapy and counseling from Columbia College in Chicago. She also has her Bachelor's of Science in Psychology from the University of Illinois, and she is a licensed clinical professional counselor and a board-certified dance movement therapist. She's worked in adult day centers, nursing homes, assisted living communities, and senior centers throughout Chicago. Erica founded North Shore Dance Therapy in March of 2011. And in her private practice, her mission is to maintain the integrity and dignity of her clients regardless of the progression of their dementia. She does this through holistic body-based intervention. Along with her clients with dementia, Erica also works intensively with families and caregivers to educate them on how to maintain healthy communication, and relationships with their loved ones. So welcome, Erica. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am thrilled for you to come out um, and be on the show with us today because I think dance is just such an important part of life. Music is, to me, just really critical, and it's one of those under, I think, appreciated things that we have in our life but it's so meaningful and so powerful. And I, I really think that most of us, when we fall into this, you know, trap of of dementia, you know, one of the first questions that comes to us is not, you know, does my person like to dance or do I even right. know? 
And it mm-hmm. really is a very powerful question to ask. So I want to dive into this. And, and first, though, I want to ask you, because it's always nice for our listeners to know, have you been personally touched by dementia? Do you have a family or friend um, that may have been touched by this, or did you just waltz into this whole realm from a different angle? Um, a little bit of both. Um, I did have a great aunt when I was um, growing up. You know, she was, gosh, when I was young, she was in her 90s, so um, she's long since passed away. But she um, had Alzheimer's, and um, you know, I just, I'm sure a lot of people say this, but I just had such a have and had, you know, over the years a great relationship with my grandparents, and I think I've just always appreciated the you know, older generations, what they have to offer myself and, you know, people in the world. And I just always had a great connection. And then I got paired up with an internship in an adult day center when I was getting my master's degree and just fell in love with the work. You know, the people were just wonderful, um, amazing to work with, just new things to be discovered every day, you know, just when you think that, you know, the person is progressing into this this horrible disease, they surprise you, you know, and something amazing comes up. So between family and, um, you know, I've certainly seen very close friends also go through having a loved one that has dementia, um, you know, Alzheimer's or whether it's vascular um, so I feel like I've been touched in different ways, but I was so blessed to work with such a, a wonderful group of people, uh, you know, early on in, in my, I guess, career or in school, and it just kind of blossomed from there. Well, wonderful. Your your story sounds a little similar to mine. I was, I was touched and kind of drawn to the senior market and just fascinated um, by the different lifestyles and how people mm-hmm. lived and embraced life and and I think one of the really cool things about dance is and, and movement is that it touches us on so many levels and can ignite change within us. So first of all, mm-hmm. what I'd like you to do is just explain to all of us, you know, what is dance movement therapy? Because a lot of people, you know, might not even know really what that entails. Sure, sure. Yeah, when I you know, speak at different places or do trainings or workshops, I, if if people don't know what it is or if someone hasn't met me prior to the training, they usually introduce me as a dancer. Not to say that I haven't been dancing my whole life, but that's not what dance therapy is. So um, to give you the formal definition, uh, according to the American Dance Therapy Association, uh, dance therapy is the psychotherapeutic use of movement to further our emotional, our cognitive, our physical, our social entities to integrate us as people. So it's really about taking everything in our environment, everything in ourselves, and using movement to further the exploration and further the awareness for ourselves, our environment, and you know our, our family and friends around us. Okay, great. I I think, you know, dance is one of those things that can be interpreted so many ways. You know, for a couple, I I have found that it's a nice way for them to be able to be close again and just have that touch that sometimes um, is missing over time as things progress. You know, or it can be, you know, that whole freestyle thing and just kind of fun, too. So there's lots to look at, and so I'm really excited to... um, to, like I said, talk with you and just share with our audience this, this simple pleasure that can really um, make a, such a difference in a person's life, both the person with dementia and, and the person participating with them. So if you can tell us from your perspective, why is dance therapy important for people with Alzheimer's disease and, and dementia? Sure. Um, I mean, as you said, dance just kind of transcends generations you know, it's been something that's been around for millions and millions of years, you know, ever since we were cave people. Um, you know, we celebrate things through dance, through song. And I think that, again, it's I believe you said this as well, that it's kind of overlooked, it's underappreciated, not necessarily from an arts perspective, but from a communication perspective. Um, 
I believe it was an article in about 2007 from Bloomberg Business Week, and they actually put out, I, I think the article was called Body Language, and it was about like a key to success in the workplace. And they actually said that 55% of our communication is visual, 38% is vocal, and only 7% is actually what we're saying. So I think when you're working with people who have not just a memory issue, but just a communication issue in general, it's so important to tap into that 55%, to tap into that visual cueing, that, that visual communication. And, you know, what I've certainly seen, and, you know, I know people are busy doing research out there, is that dance therapy enhances our creativity, enhances our imagination. Um, you know, we find that even in people with progressive dementia, the music, and imaginative centers in the brain are still functioning. It's just how we tap into them that's changing. So as a dance therapist, I find that music and movement is such a wonderful way to open that communication barrier. Um, it really allows for self-expression. Oftentimes we see people with dementia over time kind of shut down. You know, when you have a hard time expressing yourself, or, you know, talking about what's going on or connecting to people around you or the world around you, it's so easy to turn inside of ourselves. And using music and movement, we're able to kind of build a connection socially. So whether it's on an individual level or whether we're doing group work, you know, using movement to validate, um, you know, using songs to connect with someone next to you, it's, it just kind of opens a new world, you know, something that you can kind of tap into. You don't have to be a dancer by any means, but I always say that we all already have rhythm inherent in us. We all have a heartbeat, and that's kind of where it starts. You know, if you just close your eyes and take a deep breath or just kind of listen to the sound of your heart beating, um, we all have that, you know, and so just to remember that rhythm and music is, is already a part of our being before we're even born. And that's all it takes, you know, to use movement, to use rhythm, to connect with someone. Well, and I think one of the things that, that I've been taught in my 30-year journey with my mom is to let go of my ego, that things don't have to be perfect, because I would not consider myself mm -hmm. a dancer by any stretch. But we can have mm -hmm. so much fun and learn how to play again and really just enjoy being together. And, mm -hmm. and to me that's huge. So for us, I mean, we used to we used to dance, dance, you know, standing up when she was able. Then she got into the wheelchair, and then I would dance with her in her wheelchair. And, you know, we kind of push around and, and stuff, and it was just really fun. And now she's right. in her very end stages, and we we dance with our hands. And now we're even down to just the finger. But it's a, it's yeah. a connection that I can't even explain. But it's so right. it's so deep, and it's just so rich, and it's so simple um, mm -hmm. that it's it's really a very very cool connection. So it's it's taught me to look for different things for right. communication. And well, and you have said it. So, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, as you said, it, you, you used the word simple, and mm -hmm. I think simple is it. Oftentimes in this day and age with technology, and we are constantly looking for, I don't want to say the harder things, but the more intricate things in life. And so to just go back to those simple, you know, making eye contact, I mean, for us in movement therapy, that oftentimes is a, is a big goal. You know, it doesn't seem big. We really take advantage of eye contact every day, but it is so big, especially for someone with dementia. And, you know, going back to those simple things, I think, is a big key. So I just wanted to touch on that because well, you said that word so eloquently. Well, and it is. It's, um, And that's one of my goals and one of my missions with all of my platforms is to really get people to understand dealing with dementia doesn't have to be complicated. You know, mm -hmm. it's really quite simple if we get out of our ways. <laughs> and, right, and right. Trying to, 
stop trying to make it so hard because, <clears throat> and like you said, when you look in someone's eye, I mean, you can get a sense of their emotion um, right. in an instant. And we forget about that because we're so busy looking for the big picture. We're, we're waiting for the word or the sentence or the movement. And by mm-hmm. looking into somebody's eye, you can see, are they confused? Are they frightened? Are they happy? Are they content? Are they tired? You know, all of that stuff shows up, you know, if we just take the time to really look. And, and right. I think part of what it teaches us, too, is how we look. How do we appear to them? Because so many times they mimic our emotions. And mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> so if we're really frustrated, they're gonna re- they're still reading us, even though they can't express and I'm a firm believer they're still reading us and if we're open like for dance and having fun that's typically going to lift their spirit you know if they Mm -hmm. want to or not Um, just because of your your mode and your energy just like if somebody comes into a room and is really angry and frustrated and and, I mean they can and you could be in a great mood until they walk in the door and everything Mm -hmm. changes and so I I think it's very important um, for people to kind of test this out and and play in the waters um, with it because there are so many benefits um, that not only the person with dementia will get but but the person um, actively working with them. Can you explain in a little bit more detail what exactly happens during a movement therapy session and maybe give us a couple of different examples from somebody very um, in early stages and very high-functioning to somebody maybe middle to, to end stages, what, what, you know, what approach do you take with them? Sure. Um, you know, every therapist is different. So my personal approach is very person-centered, very Rogerian. I'm very much about the here and now, which I think is just extremely important in general when working with people who have dementia. Um, so, you know, I, I think you kind of said this before as far as, you know, I definitely had the, um, had the wow, I need to, I think you said check your ego at the door <laughs> when I was mm-hmm. starting, you know, in school especially. So, you know, now in my work, I definitely make sure that although sometimes I have an idea of what I'd like to do in the session, I always take my cues from the people or the individual that I'm working with. So, um, for me, it's about setting a space. Oftentimes, I go into people's homes because, one, it's just more comfortable. They're already at ease. And as long as they're okay with me coming into their home, it already sets a very calm and peaceful environment for them. So it's often about setting the space, um, whether it's already playing some soothing music, starting off with a little conversation, a little check-in to see how our day or how our week or how our moment is going. Um, if it's a group setting, I like to start in a circle. I like for everyone to be able to see everyone else, for everyone to be able to see me. I feel like everyone gets validated before the session has even started. You know, I'm here. I have a purpose. I'm aware. Um, but it's also just a very inviting environment. You know, a circle has no beginning and no end. And so it's just nice that kind of we're all in the same playing field, playing ground. So um, oftentimes with a session, I I like to come in with a goal. So the goal could just be, let's say, you know, therapeutic. We're just going to socially dance today just to enjoy ourselves, have a good time, and maybe just, you know, release some of that good energy. Um, But oftentimes... The goal could be to manage some difficult behaviors, decrease anxiety, um, you know, just allow for some expression. So it's always kind of directed towards the goal that I'd like to be working on. But I always start with a warm-up. Again, it's Mm -hmm. going to be different for every movement therapist, but that's just kind of my um, process. I like to try to read the audience that I'm with. However, if I'm kind of unsure, I might ask, you know, what kind of music they like or um, too many times I've brought in Frank Sinatra and found out that they all like to listen to Lady Gaga. 
So <laughs> I can't can't make assumptions anymore. Um, so I just try to try to read them. Just try to read what the energy is, and then I'll bring in music that complements that energy. Um, so a warm-up is not so much exercise warm-up, but just to wake up our bodies and to bring awareness from the top of our head to the tip of our toes. Um, I always do some deep breathing because we oftentimes forget how to properly breathe or, you know, we're so busy that we forget to take a deep breath. So I find that starting with a few deep breaths, just relaxes everyone immediately. Their shoulders drop, their faces open, their eyes open. Um, and, you know, just kind of work through the body. And that's a good time to check in and see if we're having any aches and pains, um, you know, to see if we're utilizing our entire body. You know, I do work with a lot of people who have vascular dementia who have serious impairments due to a, maybe a massive stroke. And, you know, it can be difficult to have, you know, to tell someone, okay, let's move our, our right arm, and it's impaired. So it's about how do we work around that. I've had individuals on their own take their good hand and start moving the bad hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just the power of suggestion and the power of opportunity, you know, just allowing someone to be themselves in that moment. And then we just kind of take it from there. I always look for symbolism. You know, if someone's doing a movement, I might ask, you know, you know, what are you doing over there? Oh, I'm swimming. Where are we swimming? You know, just let your imagination run wild. Yeah, we might be indoors because it's snowing outside, but we're swimming inside, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I just look for opportunities to intervene and create some emotional experience. It's not always positive. You know, um, I, I definitely had a session years ago where, uh, we, I encouraged everyone to paint with their with their fingers, not literally paint, but like paint a canvas in front of them with their with their arms and fingers as their paintbrushes, and mm-hmm. that seemed like a very advanced, very you know intricate thing to ask someone with, with dementia. But this was actually my, uh, I guess for lack of a better t- term, what they would call at the time the lower functioning group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were very much more progressed in their disease. And they all jumped in wholeheartedly. And I had a one woman paint this entire scene, and it turned into a picture of her with her husband, and he had his arm around her, and she started to cry because she was remembering something that no longer existed. She missed him terribly. And although it was a very sad, emotional response, we were all able to process it together. So everyone in that room had lost someone at some point, and just an example of how movement, although dance can be very positive and uplifting, it can have a lot of emotional response. And the ability to talk through it, move through it, is just amazing, regardless of our cognitive abilities. I agree. I, I want to point out a couple of things that you said. Um, one <laughs> is to, you know, kind of come in with a, a plan, set ideas, but, you know, check your ego at the door. And... Uh, <laughs> Read the person, because really, this is about the person. It's not about you completing what you think needs to be done. It's really about making a connection with someone. And I loved that you said, you know, you come in with Frank Sinatra, and they're like in Lady Gaga. Um, We do (laughs) automatically think that, okay, you're this age, you're this era, and that's so untrue for a lot of people. I mean, I, you know, I like all kinds of music. I always have. I always will. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you asked me to name a band or name a singer or a title of a song, I, it would, I would struggle to do that. I, I always, I've just never been good at that because I don't pay attention because I just listen to what I like, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I know what I like, and then I kind of turn off what I don't. And and that's how my mind works, where others are very specific in terms of what it is they like or, or don't like. And so even just, you know, if you're working with somebody, ask family or friends if they're not able to communicate or, better yet, test it out and watch their reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it doesn't have to be rocket scientists. You don't have to get it right the first time. You oh, Absolutely. Get, because this is about relationship building and connecting. 
you know, what you're doing. And I think it's just absolutely, absolutely fabulous. Um, can you give us um, some examples maybe of how, uh, you know, what you've seen in terms of working with somebody, um, you know, some of those, like, just moments that you'll never forget that just were just beautiful surprises and gifts to you as a therapist? Sure. Um, I I think that was definitely one of them that I touched on um, a little earlier was working with this uh, one woman in particular who um, she was always present in the group but always carried a, a little bag with her and even if she was engaged in the session for a few minutes, would always turn back and start looking through her purse and look for her ID, look for her address, you know, for some inkling of who I am, where I belong, where am I going. And then I kind of have to redirect her and cue her, you know, cue her back into the group. And this one group in particular where I think I said we encouraged, I encouraged them to paint with the, using their arms as paintbrushes, and I didn't, I didn't expect this huge response. I just wanted them to start moving, and then just kind of ask them, "Oh, what are you painting?" Or, you know, what's going on over there? And to see this woman get so involved, I had to ask her, "What are you? What are you painting?" When she told me, I'm paint, she said, "I'm painting the scene of a couple in a boat." And she said, I, I'm looking over into the water and I see my reflection. And she said, you know, the reflection was not what she looks like today, but what she looked like in her 20s, let's say. And uh, although I don't remember exactly how old she thought she was, so, you know, she could have been seeing herself today. And, you know, I said, well, who's in the boat? She said, oh, that's me and my sweetheart. And then when she started to talk about him and, she remembered her marriage, getting, you know, the wedding, what she wore. I remember after that session just writing a few notes to myself to remember it, and one of the um, CNAs came up to me and said that they'd never, ever heard her speak about any of that, and they thought that she had, you know, just forgotten it all. You know, she'd never spoken about her husband. She'd never spoken about her wedding or what she wore. Um, she was just always so focused on, you know, I mean, her ID, looking for information about herself today. So oftentimes I tell that story, and it still chokes me up because it's just to think that she was kind of dismissed. You know, people thought that they had her pegged in a certain way, and to just provide her with this opportunity was amazing. Um, another example that I had is when I was working in a nursing home. So that was at an adult day center. Um, she was still living in the community, this was at a nursing home I was working at, and they had a piano in the corner of the room. We did everything. It was the dining room, the exercise, activity room. And I'm not much of a piano player, but I like to just fiddle with the keys, and I know I think Mary had a little lamb, and that's probably about it. And I started just tinkering on the keys, and this one woman rolled up to me in her wheelchair and put her beautifully long fingers on the piano, and I said, you have beautiful fingers. You know, you you look like you should have played the piano. And she put both hands on, and she started to play the song from memory. Just, just, I don't even remember what song it was, but it was a classical piece. And I looked at her, and I said, where did that come from? And she said, I used to be a pianist. I used to play the piano. And the staff kind of stared at me, and I said, did you know that she plays the piano? And they said, we had no idea. So just the idea that I... I mean, it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't rocket science. I wanted to play the piano. I opened it up and started playing it with myself, and from that day on, she played the piano every day. So, oh, you know, did it, did it make sense all the time? Did we know what she was playing? No, but you know what? To someone that can't play the piano, it sounded pretty amazing. So, um, so yeah, it was just those little opportunities. You know, that wasn't even a movement therapy session. It was just me being, you know, who I am and allowing her to be herself and just allowing creativity to shine through. And the smile that she had and the confidence that she felt was just incredible. You know, oh, like this I can't even piece of her she reconnected with. How phenomenal that must have been. I um, 
you know, I went out to, I don't know if you're familiar with Lakeview Ranch, but Judy Berry owns Lakeview Ranch here in Minnesota in, in Clocato, and uh-huh. she just does um, some really unique work. They really try not to have people on medications, and <clears throat> I went out there for the day to visit, and there was a woman who basically, you know, in, in her end stage is pretty quiet, really didn't do much of anything, um, didn't talk, didn't respond, and they said, do you want to see her play the piano? And I said, you're kidding. And they said, oh, no, she used to um, teach piano. And one day, just by accident, they too found out. And so I asked her if she wanted to play the piano for me, and she agreed, and she got up. And just to see her, you know, she didn't play a song, but she was doing the scales, but she was so proud mm-hmm. to, to, to be able, like you said, to see her fingers move when you see someone who's you think is rigid and you just think that that runs throughout them all the time and she was just fluid and happy and smiling and content and I just had tears running from my face watching her going my gosh how do we not tap this stuff how how can we be so ignorant as a society Um, you know we really have to do better and And what you're talking about is redirection and giving opportunity. And a lot of times when we use the term, I think, redirection, you know, when Mm -hmm. someone's having a behavior or reacting a way we don't want them to, people will say, well, you know, redirect them. And people freak out and go, well, what do you mean by that? And really it's just giving them an opportunity to be purposeful. Right. And by you, you know, talking with the woman who, always, you know, flurring in her purse, looking for her ID. Um, You know, when you engaged her in conversation and asked her to perform something, you know, do something, partake in a group, you know, she was willing to do that. And then when you took it that step further and asked, what do you see? You know, what are you painting? Mm -hmm. And that's so purposeful. Someone cares enough to ask. It's kind of... um, to me, in the same progression of taking a photo, um, and photographs can be so powerful because the person behind the camera, typically, not, not nowadays because of our technology, but typically the person behind the camera is is consciously observing you in a moment that they want to capture. And you're mm-hmm. important. And you're doing the same thing through through dance and through movement and through your conversation and through your approach. So I really, I thank you so much for what you're doing and, and just the ways that you're explaining it um, to people because I think it's very important. And I think we might have a caller on the line. So let me just see. I've got sure. somebody here from a 561 number. Um, 561, you are um, live on the air. Did you have a question or comment that you wanted to ask? Or make sometimes people just call in and listen too. So I just wanted to make sure. Apparently they're just listening. So I will go ahead okay. and put you back on mute. And if you decide you have a question or comment, we'd love to hear from you. So I just wanted to be sure because sometimes people forget to push the one when they have a comment. And <laughs> so I wanted. Oh, okay. <laughs> to just double check there. Um, can you talk about? how dance therapy can be used by family or um, caregivers specifically. Um, and sure. maybe, uh, yeah, why don't, we, why don't we go ahead and start there, I guess. Okay. Um, so, you know, we, we've been touching on it the whole time, that just dance and movement is communication. It really is. It's just so much more than words. It's so much more than the tone. It's just body language. And so I've found that using what I know through movement, I almost have begun to use it as an education tool for family members and caregivers. Um, you know, it's, it's a polite way of saying check your, your ego out the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, how we, and we see this just in ourselves. You know, we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, we go to work, and we have a horrible day. You know, it's the ability to check all those emotions, everything that's going on at the door, so that when you're with that person, you are with them. Because like you said, they can often take on our emotions, you know, if it's a mom or a dad, 
sometimes they want to feel what we're feeling. They want to take away our anger or they want to feel our excitement. Those might not be their emotions to begin with. So it, it's, it can be very stressful, even though they're doing what, what comes naturally to them. Um, it can be very stressful to already have difficulty communicating or expressing yourself and then to try to take on someone else's emotions to be with them is, is just can be a very stressful or sometimes a traumatic experience, and that might be where we see behaviors coming out or um, extreme fatigue or, you know, isolation. So I just encourage family to really look at the person now. It's very difficult to let go of who the person was, you know, whether they're five minutes into their diagnosis or... 15 years, and, you know, for, for movement as communication, it's so important to be with the person how they are in that moment, and for family members, caregivers, you know, staff that work with, with people, it's very hard to do that. You know, we have busy lives, we've got things going on all the time, and it's it's just so easy to kind of, you know, let our own things get in the way of being able to communicate. Um, so, so I use it as just really a tool, an educational piece, um, to bridge kind of the communication gap and a way to just connect, you know, in a very simple, simple, in a very simple way. And the other thing that I've been able to do is, so as a movement therapist, I'm also using movement not just as an intervention, as I was saying, but I'll use the movement that I see in the person I'm working with to enhance the therapeutic relationship. So if I notice, you know, a gesture that they have repeatedly or a certain posture, I will tell the family member or the caregiver to, one, just become aware of it, and two, Maybe try it with the person. You know, in, in dance therapy, we talk a lot about mirroring and attuning, attuning to the person's movements. And, you know, people often say, well, how is that different than mimicking? You know, I don't want to make the person feel bad. Um, it's really about physically empathizing with the person. And doing that through movement, you know, if it's someone sitting in a wheelchair, we, we want to think about coming down to their level, you know, not standing up over them, but maybe sitting down in a chair next to them. Um, again, making eye contact when possible, a slight touch, you know, holding someone's hand, um, maybe grazing the shoulders or the back of the neck. I'm not a massage therapist in any way, but, you know, if I ask someone, do you mind if I give you a light massage, most of the time they say yes and they love it. So it's about teaching our family members and our caregivers, how to reconnect with the person as they are now. And um, oftentimes the processes that I see in the family members is just as rewarding, if not even more rewarding, because they're finding so much out about themselves. You know, their patience is increasing. Um, they're just finding a new way to connect with a family member, which, you know, maybe for the last 30, 40, 50 plus years, was so different from the way they're doing it now. I love that because uh, for me that has been extremely true. Um, dementia has, has changed my life, who I am, how I look at life, how I interact with others, how I, um, how I appreciate so much more the little things that, that I used to overlook. Um, I don't I, I don't want to say I don't miss them because I'm sure I miss a little here and there, but, man, I'm capturing mm -hmm. a lot more. And that whole living in the moment, I know that, you know, is a big thing, and a lot of people think it's a big foo-foo, new age thing. But you know what, guys? There is a lot to appreciating the moment you're in and not worrying about the past or projecting fears into the future, but just accepting what is and, and loving it and appreciating right. it and looking and creating the joy because there is so much there. Um, my mom has taught me so much in her own stages that, um, you know, I don't think she's sad um, because she she's, you know, I mean, if she had her druthers, yes, yeah, she probably would wish she didn't have the disease, 
but mm-hmm. she still is, I think, really able to take everything in. And the only reason I can say that is because we have such an intimate relationship on such a on a different level where we're so connected because she has taught me to look for her signs. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need her to say something. I don't need her to move in a certain way anymore. Right, you know, those, right. Oh, that's, that's, not, great. that's not the level that we communicate on. And so this could be such a gift for people, both professionals working with people as well as family members. Um, and it teaches us to play because I think a lot of times, you know, when we're when we're giving care, when we're in those care partner roles, if it's professional or family, you know, we take things very seriously, and we need to, don't get me wrong, but... Um, <laughs> You know, nobody wants to be around someone who's serious and intense all the time. You know, they want to be around um, someone who wants to engage them and be in a relationship just like the rest of us do. Right. We know know what we want in those relationships, and we we can't push that aside just because someone's not able to communicate with us the way they used to. Right. I think that's... What, you know what you were saying really all of a sudden um, made the the thing people used to say a lot when I worked uh, in activities like in nursing homes and stuff is that I had a fun job. That was a fun mm-hmm. job, and and I think the reason a lot of times people say that is because they see the fun that we have. They don't always see the difficulties that happen between the fun, you know. So mm-hmm. it, it can be a lot of work to be with someone in the moment. Um, but there are the possibilities are just amazing. You know the, the, the connections that you make with someone in the moment um, when you're moving with them, being with them. You know, I always I would say to some clients or uh, some family members, Have you ever just sat? Have you ever just sat for five minutes with your family member in silence? And usually the answer is no. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. we often feel like we need to be doing something. You know, we need to be talking. We need to be moving. And sometimes silence is difficult for a lot of us. Uh, but just being able to literally feel the connection, you know, allow just your body to speak and not your words to be heard can be very powerful. So, you know, as you said, it's something that we could be doing for our loved ones, for our clients, for our residents. But on the other hand, we're learning so much about it ourselves. You know, learning to read the individual with the dementia so that maybe you can diminish a behavior or completely extinguish it. Um, You know, I often will train people on what cues to look for to notice agitation. You know, anxiety, agitation, frustration, they're just so apparent, so evident, Um, whether it's, you know, hands Tightening, clenching, making a fist, you know, shoulders, um, kind of, you know, howling um, in the in our torso, you know, it's kind of like sinking in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oftentimes we dismiss certain physical things because we know that, oh, that person has arthritis. You know, she never opens her hands. Or, you know, she has a tremor. Well, noticing if the tremor is getting more frequent or if it's relaxing, or if the hands are clenched more tight than usual. Those are all signs of an emotional response. And so noticing those little things before it becomes this big outburst, or screaming, or crying, or, you know, whatever the behavior might be, is so important for us when dealing with our loved ones, and for them when they're with us, you know, so that we can get the, the best, most positive experience out of our time together. Well, I like I like what you said about really reading the signs and being able to um, prevent a, a situation that you don't want to happen by being more connected. And I also like that you um, you know talked about you know being in the moment is work. And and I think why it's work is because we have to change <laughs> the way we do things. And so mm-hmm. we go through change. It's work, and many of us struggle with change. And you know we just want it the same old way because it's easier. But if you look at it um, from the perspective of really getting things under control and being able to be more accepting, if you look at it 
um, from not being um, in the future being as frustrated or as mm-hmm. irritated um, and being able to be more calm, it really is worth the effort, in my opinion. Right, right. I try to time. Yeah, I try to encourage um, facilities I go to and I do some consulting. I try to encourage the staff members to, again, look for those cues because to manage your behavior before it really becomes a problem is so much easier than trying to, you know, bring that person back down. Often we, you know, that's when the, the PRN comes in, you know, and we have to medicate because, you know, this person's so agitated we can't do anything about it now. You know, that's, that's not necessarily the case. Like with movement we can come in, but it's so much harder once the person is at their peak of agitation. And, you know, I remember working in, in assisted livings and nursing homes, you know, sometimes people would get so agitated that we would have to send them to the hospital. And we know that oftentimes once someone goes to the hospital, when they return, there is some level, you know, some level of functioning that's lost. So the idea of kind of nipping into the bud, finding where these behaviors are starting and managing them early on in the emotional process is, for everyone, you know, the person gets to stay in their home, in their um, environment, and hopefully it's just a more adjusted, kind of well-rounded person, and they're not going through these crazy fluctuations in, in emotional response and behavior. And, you know, it's better for them, and it's also better for family members, for staff working with comfortable experience. Is that going to happen for everyone all the time? No. But I think that's the best part about, one of the best things about what I do is I always tell people I'm a detective. You know, one thing might work yesterday that's not going to work today or not going to work tomorrow. And so always finding what will work in the moment, you know, not relying on what has worked, hoping it will, but always finding something new. And regardless of how advanced the disease is, always looking for challenges. You know, I I always encourage people if there are going to be these separate groups, you know, say the facility we're working in has high-functioning and low-functioning, I would much rather have a low-functioning individual in the higher-functioning group because it challenges them to come out of who they are and have some moments to have a breakthrough, even if it's for five seconds, Um, whereas, you know, the reverse can happen and we kind of get this group think. You know, we're going to tend to move toward the group environment as opposed to, you know, standing out and being an individual. It's just kind of what we see happens. And, um, you know, always just encouraging the person to be more than they are because sometimes we lose sight of that and and sometimes they lose sight of it. And unless there's someone advocating for them and and pushing them, then, you know, it's it's often gone before we even have a chance to, to... bring it out and, you know, to look for it. Yeah, it really is about creating the opportunities and, you know, not relying on just one thing that's going to work. You have to kind of have a little toolbox that you carry. And right. <laughs> learn to be flexible and, and be, you know, be spontaneous um, in in the moment. And being able to go with the flow is, is just a, a major, major gift, Um you know, if you can embrace that, it's just—it's kind of incredible um, what can what can actually happen. There was a a quote. Where the heck was it? Let me see if I can find it. I love this quote: "Sanity dictates that um, that we go with the flow, never knowing where it will take us." And I got that on Inspire Me today, and I just thought, you know, this disease can seem pretty insane and pretty crazy sometimes. But when we let go of the control and just let things happen, um, the gifts come forward and, you know, the blessings are there. The other thing is I, I think so many times people forget, and I, I say this a lot, but we always have new listeners, but I think it's very important that a person with dementia, I firmly believe, processes things exactly the same way as the rest of us. They just mm-hmm. can't communicate them. And we all process things by, you know, it starts with our, our attitude and then it goes to our past um, history. 
And we draw on those two things, and that creates our perception of what's going on before us. And then our perception triggers our reaction. And we tend to call it a behavior when we don't like the reaction. But if we right. step back and say, there's a reason for this, so how did they create that perception? How did that become their reality? Because we can't argue with it. You know, and again, it's putting on that investigator's hat and saying, I can figure this out. Right. It's pretty pretty empowering when you figure it out, and you usually kind of want to slap yourself upside the head because most of the time it's pretty simple to correct. Mm -hmm. That's right. Attention. Yeah. Um, When I used to go into, or when I was an intern especially, you know, being a eager student, anytime someone said, you know, oh, this is the sweet group of people, and then they'd be like, oh, you know, these are the people that don't talk or they're depressed or, you know, the the difficult people or personalities, they would say. That was the group I always went to because I thought, well, we already, I mean, I work with everyone, obviously, but, you know, if you're telling me these people are sweet and pleasant, then they're going to get along with everyone. I said, I want to know why you pegged this group as people who don't get along or who are difficult personalities. And it's almost like, you know, again, being a detective or trying to crack, a, you know, crack the, the egg um, in a delicate way to, you know, see what the mystery is, you know, and how to change the perception. Um, one gentleman in particular, I just remember, they had him pegged as, as a certain individual. You know, he was uptight and depressed and, never in the heat of the summer, never took off his jacket, never took off his hat, just kind of always sat in the corner. And honestly, I think it was because no one ever paid attention to him. So I always made a point when he came in in the morning to look at him, shake his hand, call him. And it probably took a good three or four months until he started responding. But by the end of our time together, never wore his jacket, never wore his hat, was talking on a, you know, daily, regular basis, and people really changed their perception on him, and he wasn't a difficult personality anymore. You know, it's just amazing when you come in, come in with a fresh perspective and you don't assume anything about the person, regardless of what their abilities are. That is that is amazing, and it is, it is about shifting perceptions, um, mm-hmm. you know, in our dementia care culture, and you know, how do we interact? And, and dance therapy and, and movement therapy is, is so powerful and playful. And, you know, little kids, I mean, they don't have an ego. You know, they just get in the moment and they play and they dance and they spin and they move and they have a good time. And as adults, we can do that too, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think it's, you know, we're being silly or it's not perfect or we look goofy. But you know what, Um there's three things we typically remember in life, that that saddens us, that that scares us, and that that brings us joy. So do you want to put a mm-hmm. smile on your face, or would you rather, you know, pout or cry? Um, you know, those are kind of your choices. And right. so when you look at it in that light, it you know, to me it just makes it so much easier to say mm-hmm. this is worth the risk of me as a care partner to get out of my comfort zone um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a singer. I'm not a dancer, and I sing and I dance with my mom, and I do it in front of a group. I mean, I don't get up with microphone or anything, but with my mm-hmm. mom, just I've just you know, it's not about that. It's not this disease is not about being perfect. Right. I mean, this is a prime example of not perfect. You know, in a perfect world, none of us would be dealing with this to begin with, but. Letting go of again our ego and our perception of what things have to be, and allowing them to just be opens the door to so many more possibilities. That um, it's just it's an incredible, incredible journey. Now, one question I didn't ask you, and I meant to, was can you explain to us what is the difference between like dance therapy and physical therapy? Sure. Um, so I actually did a little research myself because although I've participated in physical therapy, I've seen physical therapy, I'm not a physical therapist, and I I didn't exactly know what the dictionary, you know, um, 
definition would be. So mm-hmm. just going off of like dictionary.com or, you know, opening Webster's. Um, so physical therapy, I found, is the treatment of, or management of a physical disability, a malfunction, or, a, you know, a, a pain, a type of pain, by exercise, massage, water therapy, etc., without the use of, let's say, medicines, surgery, radiation, something chemical. So looking at that definition and then thinking about what dance therapy is, there are a lot of similarities. It is the treatment or management of, let's say, a malfunction, a disability, pain, but there's also an emotional response to that. There's an emotional, like a psychosocial aspect Mm -hmm. to movement therapy as well. So I think we get hung up on the dance part of things and forget that what therapy is, you know, that it that it is a psychotherapy and that there's a movement and a psychosocial cognitive counterpart to it as well. Um, we certainly also try to do things holistically, so without the use of medications. Um, you know, sometimes surgery is inevitable, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to do with dementia. Um, you know, it really depends on the individual as far as medications. As dance therapists, we um, are not able to prescribe medications. Um, you know, we usually work in conjunction with a psychiatrist or we'll refer someone to a psychiatrist should medications be necessary. But we definitely try to do things holistically and try to see what we can do through movement or dance to manage someone's pain, discomfort, behaviors, what have you to kind of get to the root of the problem. So, you know, without kind of speaking out of terms as far as it not being my expertise, I just know that physical therapy is definitely what it says. It's physical. You know, it really starts with the body and ends with the body. Not to say there aren't a lot of emotional things going on. So I often think, um, I had a family member that was going through a lot of physical therapy and I thought to myself, there's a lot of emotional stuff going on here. Maybe you should have a therapist, you know, psychotherapist, in a physical therapy session. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. talk about what's going on as you're moving your body. Um, so I think that's really the key with dance therapy. If, if someone is thinking about going into physical therapy but really enjoys the sciences, um, you know, or the the social sciences as well, it really, movement therapy kind of gives you the opportunity for both. You know, we we have a lot of schooling in movement assessment a little bit of anatomy, um, you know, definitely a lot more psychology training. And so there definitely is a difference. I see a little bit of the overlap, but I think as far as movement therapy is concerned, it definitely is more of a a social science, a a psychotherapeutic intervention. So you're looking at the the body and the spirit and how to process what's going on and how to communicate what's going on, whether it is or you're doing it through a medium. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Got garbled a little <laughs> bit at the end, and I wasn't I wasn't quite sure. Well, this has just been fascinating to talk to you. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners? No, I, I mean, I, I just I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and educate on what dance therapy is and you know, realize that I think you mentioned this earlier that oftentimes as children or if we have children, that's when we think we can play. That's when we can use our imagination. And when we see, you know, a group of 90-plus-year-olds doing playful things, you know, playing with scarves or singing the nursery rhyme song, we think, oh, we're, you know, we're infantilizing them. We're, we're, not, we're not encouraging them to be the older adults that they are. I think it's really the contrary. We're just trying to find a way for them to connect to their childhood, to reminisce, to create or relive some of those memories. And so I think sometimes it's a blessing to be able to go back and do those things. It's it's not a bad thing at all. You know, we're not treating them like children. It's about, and I, you know, I know you said this before, but my mission is really to encourage dignity and respect through the process. So it's about finding that dignity, finding that respect, whether you're singing a nursery rhyme, you know, you're dancing to Frank Sinatra or, as I said, listening to Lady Gaga. So um, so I just appreciate the opportunity, and um, I thank you for the difference that you're making in the uh, dementia and Alzheimer's community as well. 
Well, thank you, Erica, so much for being with us today. And, you know, the one thing that we didn't touch on was, you know, this is exercise, too, for people, you know, movement. And that's that's interesting. Absolutely, yeah, there is is a physical benefit to it. (laughs) Yep, to be able to get that, the blood and the oxygen moving um, along with um, just, you know, if, if it's that touch, I've got... Uh, a friend whose <clears throat> whose parents um, one is blind and the other one has dementia, and every morning they dance. That's mm. just their routine, and that's you know kind of that's their intimacy. That's and that's a really cool thing because that is something that is lost, and both the person with dementia feels that sometimes, and as well as the care partner. You know, like with my mom, <clears throat> she can't hug me anymore. And mm-hmm. she can't physically put her arms around me, but you know I can dance with her with her hand or her finger or whatever, and we make that physical connection, even though it's small and it's different, it's mm-hmm. no less powerful. And right. so um, you've taught us a lot of a lot of good lessons, and hopefully we've we've perked people's interest. They're going to go pop on some music and um, do some experimenting. And again, yeah, you know, so. go in with a plan, but be flexible, and mm-hmm. and read the signs before you. Um, and, and I think you'll get so much out of it. Now, Erica, how can people get a hold of you? Um, well, they can contact me um, through my website. So uh, the the company is North Shore Dance Therapy, and our website is www.northshoredancetherapy.com. Um, my email is Erica E R I C A at North Shore Dance Therapy dot com, or you can feel free to call the office. It's eight four seven eight four eight zero six nine seven. And if people just want to learn more about dance therapy in general, you can always look um, on the American Dance Therapies Association website. It's just www dot a d t a dot org. And, um, yeah, I just think that's it. You know, I encourage people to contact me just for questions. Um, you know, if you don't live in the area or if you do live in the area and you're interested in movement therapy, um, you know, I, I'd love to just educate and talk to people all over. So feel free to give okay. us a call. Do you do or would you like to do any speaking or training at conferences and things for people? I do. I do. Actually, um, I do a lot of in-services for facilities, obviously in the area. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with Northwestern University in in the city of Chicago, and I will actually be speaking, I believe, in August at Loyola University. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I do love to especially do workshops because I think for movement therapy we really need a lot of hands-on experientials. Mm-hmm. So since I don't, I love to talk. <laughs> um, you know, moving is definitely a great way to experience and understand what we do as well. So yeah, trainings, workshops, in services, and um, you know, conferences as well. We really do appreciate people wanting to learn about what we do and um, getting to to experience it. And you know, even sometimes being able to teach a few techniques. Uh, if you don't have a therapist on staff or if you're not able to hire a movement therapist, you know, at least being able to walk away with a few key principles, benefits, techniques that we can kind of teach the staff as well. Which I, I really appreciate. Sometimes people are a little worried that, you know, if they tell people some techniques, they're not going to be needed. But the need is so great, and you bring a whole different level to it than what I would do or, you know, uh, any family member, because we don't have the background. But it's something that we can try, and, you know, we're not going to hurt anybody doing that. Again, you you can't push their limitations. You have to know physically um, what they're capable of doing and kind of easing in. And then, again, looking for the signs um, with them and um, and appreciating the moments. Well, again, thank you so much for for being with us. I'll go ahead and close the show up then. Uh, I would like to ask all of our listeners, again, if you enjoyed the show, please like us and tweet us and and push this information out. This is just something, um, again, it's not rocket scientists. It's something that we can all do. 
we've all done probably at one point in our life. It's just another way to use some skills that we already have and to learn how to enhance them. So um, we do have several upcoming shows, and I'm very excited on the 28th. I'm going to have Chris Morissette with us, and he's going to be talking about hospice and palliative care. And then Rick Phelps will be with us in um, July. Um, He's going to be talking about his life-changing videos um, dealing with dementia and how those can help people. And then I'll have um, Pam on, and she has a husband with dementia. And so we're going to talk about a a spouse's perspective. And then uh, Tori Zellick will be with us, too, um, coming up in July, um, talking about a medical day planner. So we've got lots of fantastic shows, and we look forward to you uh, joining us in the future. And again, um, please feel free to ask us any questions. You can always call in or use your chat box in the future, or feel free to shoot me a question um, or a comment. I always like to review those as well. Or maybe you would be interested in being our next guest. I do interview pretty much everybody from someone who has dementia to a personal or professional um, care partner uh, to advocates and um, businesses that are doing uh, making a difference in the world of dementia. So thank you again for um, being with us, and we will talk to you all soon. Bye now, and have a wonderful day. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.